Good morning. It's good to be here with you. I'm really excited, and we had a good time in Sunday school, and my understanding is that we rearranged some rooms so we could all be together, and that was certainly a joy. So I'm excited to be here with you. Uh, normally on a Sunday morning, I would be uh, preaching um, expository sermon through a text, opening a text, unfolding it to you, but you get that on a regular basis. And so uh, this morning, I'm excited to uh, have a bit more interaction, a little bit more like a Bible study here. And so please don't be shy to shout out, raise your hand, say something. We want to get you involved um, so that we can have a bit of a conversation here. And in fact, uh, I'll be talking with you to you in a moment about the gospel conversation. You know, what is it, what is it like to have a, a gospel conversation. Some of you are like, I do that all the time. Great. We're still going to be helped and encouraged by the principles we're going to go through. In fact, this is a good time for, for me to mention, you may have a piece of paper with you. I, I trust an outline front and back with fill in the blank. If not, then you know, we can probably get you, get you one of those. And um, that'll help you just follow along with the general flow because some of you are note takers. And if I list out these principles, you're number one under this, you'll, you'll kind of have a general place to, to hang the thought. And I left some room there so you can write some notes. So feel free to use that. And um, I want to make sure that will we'll serve you well. Just give me one moment as I open this up here. So I want to ask you a question this morning. And I want to get some participation. So get ready to participate. And we had some good participation in Sunday school. And it's pretty diverse. But, you know, make sure it's not like the same three people. Or I might have to, you know, put a little silence on you just for a moment. We want to hear from you, but we want to hear from everybody to get you participating a little bit. But I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question, and don't be shy. I want to ask you, why does evangelism exist? Why, why does evangelism exist? What do you think? And there's probably a lot of good answers to this, so it's not like you're going to be like, wrong, just kidding. I mean, there's, there's a lot of right answers to this if you've been in the Word for any amount of time. God commands it. Spread the gospel. Good. Discipleship. Agents of salvation. See, you guys are doing great. This, this is good. Let's keep it going. Anyone else? To reach the lost. Good. To bring glory to God, amen. Like, why are you asking me a question there's 375 answers to? There are a lot of answers, actually. There are some central ones that they all, you know, flow toward, but this is what's great about this question because I think it's good for us to be asking this question. Any other thoughts? Evangelism, why does it exist? <laughs> Steal my thunder. So let me ask exactly, and that's where we're going. I just want to bring this up briefly. And so I'm not going to repeat that in case you didn't hear it, but if you heard it, good. And, uh, let me, but let me ask you a quick question. Let me ask you a quick question. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I know it's not the Bible, but those are principles from Scripture. And that's true. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And it's, it's interesting because when we look at 1 Peter 3.18, and you're welcome to turn there uh, just for a brief moment, or you can listen, Peter 
Listen to what it says. But some of you follow along because I want to make sure I'm reading correctly. That's a hint. Okay. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might save us from hell. Is that what it says? First Peter 3.18, one more time, just to make sure. Exactly. Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, not so that he might save us from hell, though that's true. I'm not saying that's not true. Don't throw me off the pulpit. Definitely, that's a vital part of the gospel. I'm not minimizing that. But I'm just showing you what Peter says. And he says, so that he might bring us to God. Do you catch that? Christ died. Why did he die? We think of the cross, Calvary, right? Blood shed. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? His death on the cross was necessary for our sins to be washed away, to be atoned for. So when you think of the cross, we think of the death of Christ. We think of him standing in our place, don't we? Standing in our place. As I get interactive in a moment, this is my little mini sermon part, because I have to do a mini sermon part here. So, so on the cross, he died in the place of those who would believe, right? So he stood, he's in that place, so I don't have to be. If he didn't die for me, then I'm going to perish forever in eternal judgment, eternal torment. Or he takes that punishment, and then I don't take it. That's how that works. So when we think of that, we think of sins removed, but why do I care if my sins are removed? Because if my sins aren't removed and I face a holy God, what's going to happen? Eternal judgment, right? So hell and judgment is a real, uh, is a major part of the gospel. The just God of the universe, we are enemies of God. We're on the other side of the line. He's the king, we're the enemy. And so it's important to recognize that Christ died for sin so that we wouldn't go, so, so that we wouldn't perish in our sins, we wouldn't perish in hell. That's, that's true. That would be a true statement. But Peter says, so that he might bring us to God. So what I want us just to do for a moment before we get practical in a minute is just to think, why, why is that? Do you go to the unbeliever and say, Jesus died for sins of sinners just like you and I so that, what? You might be forgiven, so that you might not perish in your sins. And that's, that's good to say, by the way, in the gospel. But Peter's not saying that here. He's saying so he might bring you to God. He's going beyond that. He's going after like he's saying, okay, what's the ultimate end of our salvation? It's not to escape hell. And I always think of a conversation, I like to ask unbelievers on the streets, you know, say, why, why do you want to go to heaven? Why do you want to go to heaven? You know, because I don't want to go to hell. Exactly, that's the right answer. But I don't, so I don't want to go to hell. And it's like, wait a minute, think about that. So a lot of times people say that, you know, they, when you ask them why they want to go to heaven in the future, the place where there's no where there's no tears anymore, where you're face-to-face -face with Jesus himself, where your soul will be satisfied forever, and you ask somebody that, and, and I think as Christians, we need to ask ourselves that a little bit before we're going to go preach the gospel of grace so that we actually can think, Do I, is, this my, is this where I'm at? Because at the end of the day, when you look at Peter here, when you talk about dying for sins, the just for the unjust, we're talking about escaping that judgment, and Peter's, even though Peter knows that, and he, it's implied in the text, hell, escaping hell is implied in the text, and obviously he knows that his readers, right, they, they would know that as well, but he jumps to, to, to good news. Like, isn't escaping hell good news? It is. It's a huge, great, amazing news. But I, I would say maybe even the capital G good news of the gospel 
is not just that we escape hell, but that you gain God forever, that you gain God forever, that he would be your treasure. And you're like, what are you talking about? Well, let's just talk about this for a minute. Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1. Yeah, feel free to turn there or you can just listen carefully. It's a little Ephesians chapter 1. And if you look down Ephesians chapter 1, I'm not going to read everything, but blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, verse 4, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Verse 6, key in this case. Why? To the praise of the glory of his grace. To the praise of the glory of his grace. And then he goes and he says that a couple more times throughout this entire thing. To the praise of the glory of his grace. I mean, verse 12 and and, and so there's a couple other places. And as he continues, what is he saying, though? He chose us, verse 4, before the foundation of the world. He predestined us to adoption, to be adopted. Not just, God didn't just save us and then we're just like, you know, it's like deism, ant farm theology. It's not real theology. But it's like, you know, he just saves us and we just live our lives, you know. And he's just this king who's like distant from us. He saved us. He's the king and we are enemies. And it's like he came and he washed us, and then brought us into his family. And we become, you know, once your enemy, now seated, what, at the table, right? At the table with God. We're not just forgiven, but it's like the judge saying, now I'm going to bring you into my family. So we're adopted. We're adopted. And through Jesus Christ. And so, and I want you to see all of that, the salvation and the spiritual blessings that's earlier in verse 3 and a little bit earlier on, all of that that we read, and everything after the fact, which we're not going to be able to get into this morning, but you can read it maybe after, you know, just all of Ephesians 1 is amazing. But the whole point is it's to the praise of His glory. It's to the praise of His glory. So think about that. So here's God, He's glorious, and the goal is that there would be praise right? That there would, be a, there would be a recognition of God's glory and that there would be a, a praise that would come forth from the mouths of His people. And so, so and, that's, and that's basically why I asked that question, why does, worship, why does evangelism exist? And the answer, and John was right, and, and I think Piper's right, and Edwards is right, and, and just Christians throughout time who have understood what the Scripture says is that because worship doesn't exist. And do you remember the woman at the well in John 4? you remember what that says? Let's turn there. John 4. John 4. The woman, verse 19, 419, the woman said to him, to Jesus, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. She, you know, of course, it's good, good observation. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Verse 20. Jesus said to her, verse 21, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. He's saying, don't worry about the location. It's not about the location. It's not about the ethnicity. Verse 20, he says, You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, verse 23, here's the key, and now is when the true worshipers We'll worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is, um, 
God is taking people who have affections and love for everything under the sun. First John, do not love the world or the things in the world. Remember this passage? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Remember? All is in the world. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, right? And the world is passing away. First John 2. And it's important to recognize that that that's what happens. Because we're born in sin, our affections are bent toward anything. And we're going to keep going and going and going and going and looking and looking and looking. And that's why you go from one sin to the next. And you'll see why I'm going here in a minute. You go from, I got a three-bedroom house, now I want a four-bedroom. You know, if someone's like, I just got to have a lot of money, they're feeling greedy, I'm gonna, or they're like, I'm entering the lottery, they win a million dollars. That's so much, they're so excited that that million dollars is gone. And they're like, oh, I wish I did the 10 million, 100 million. It always works like that. And even in marriages, we see, sadly, you know, infidelity, adultery. You know, people go from, I'm not trying to, I'm just trying to give the principle. It's like, this, it's like there's, there's something in us that keeps going and going and it's never satisfied because the things of the world cannot satisfy forever because they're not eternally glorious. In fact, one of the analogies is, have you guys ever heard of the law of diminishing returns? The law of diminishing returns, you, you know what it is if you haven't heard of it. I'll, I'll say it to you like this. We'll see how this goes. Okay, any coffee drinkers? Nobody? Okay, good. Okay, good. Whew, good. Okay, I like donuts. I'm, I mean, I'm not like, I don't overly like them, but I do like them. I like those little powdered donuts at the gas station. You ever had those little powdered donuts? I always wished I could, I could have that when they put it in the package. And you're like, I eat homemade donuts. I just like them. I don't know why. But in the morning, if you have whatever you like, pick whichever thing you want. I'm going to use donuts as the example. It doesn't matter what it is. You wake up in the morning, and you're like, man, that just looks so good. And you're, you got a cup of coffee and a lot of hands, so that's good. You can identify with me. And you got your donut right there, and you're looking at it. And what are you thinking? You pick it up. What are you your mouth starts watering, your cheeks start to cramp a little bit, and you're like, oh, I can't wait to take that first bite, right? You take a bite of the donut, what happens? It tastes pretty good, right? And then you're just like, man, that's so good, and you're, you're chewing it. As you're eating it, you're just, in, you're like savoring that flavor, and then you're like, man, and it, it's going away because you're consuming the donut, that bite. And you're like, oh, no, what do I do? I mean, don't think like this. This is what's happening, though, in your heart. You don't realize it. And so you say, I want another bite. And so you pick the donut up, eat another bite. And it's, it tastes so good. And as you're going to eat the bite, you're like, it's good. I want, to, I want that, that, that flavor, that feeling to keep, to stay in my mouth. And so you take another bite, and you're like, oh, it's so good. But it's, but it's not quite as crisp and good as the first bite. But man, it's still good. What happens when you have the fourth donut? They're little donuts. It's, that's not too many. It's okay. You have fourth donut. They're not like, you know, this, bear claws. And uh, fourth donut does not taste as good. Fifth donut, sixth donut doesn't taste so good. Thirty donuts, you're sick. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm not trying to say I eat 30 donuts, but I do want to make a point. This is an important point. But notice what's happening. It illustrates the principle that it gets old. Even when I'm not at all full and I could eat more, I'm hungry still. It, the, 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 the enjoyment of that thing gets old. And, in, and, and honestly... If in a morning, if I wake up in a morning, and I'm just like, this is a day I'm going to have a little bit of dessert and I'm, and I'm morning and I'm, I'm hungry, I have some coffee, it's going to be an, I'm going to be excited about that and give God thanks and glory. But if I lived in an eternal black abyss with a body that can't die and I had donut, one donut, okay, a little black hole and a donut keeps popping out. I know this is a crazy analogy, but just track with me. And a donut just keeps coming out. Here's the thing, here's the thing. I could eat it and I'd be happy for a short time in eternity. It would just be the worst thing ever. 
It'd be the worst. I'd get tired of them. I'd be sick of donuts. You probably want to make a donut gun. You know, it's like, I want out of here, but you have an eternal body that's going to live forever. In a way, that's kind of partly what hell's going to be like. But why am I bringing this up? Because that's bad news, right? But the point is, the reason we don't experience that as much here is because we can have a lot of things to run to, at least unbelievers. They can run to this thing and to that thing, and I get bored of this thing. And the temporary nature of things is ignored. It's ignored. And we do that as Christians sometimes. Maybe some of you are doing something like that. I, I, I struggle with that at times, and I find myself being busied and finding myself, my affection for Christ, my love for Christ begins to diminish, and now here I am, maybe not with donuts, but with whatever. My point I'm trying to say is not that we can't enjoy things God's given us like food. We can, and we should, and we should thank Him. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, what I am saying is this. Creation is designed to be a gift from the giver, but the giver of the gift, Jesus Himself, God, is the ultimate treasure. He's the ultimate treasure. And so it's important to recognize that when we see Peter saying to bring us to God, that's only good news if you're saved. If I go to an unbeliever and say, hey, you can get brought to God today, he goes, I don't really care. Or I know God, that's eh, not that exciting to me. Because he hasn't been born again, because he hasn't had his taste, spiritual taste buds awakened, and as I get ready to wrap up with this part shortly, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, feel free to turn there or listen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. This is what it says. He says in verse 3, actually, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What is it saying in verse 4? Look at that, look what it says, in whose case, lowercase g, God, Satan, not the true God, the false God, Satan, the God of this world, he's not a real God, he has done something. Look at verse 4. He's blinded. What is he blinded? Minds. Of who? Unbelieving. Why? So that they can't see something. See that right there in the text. What, are they, what does he not want them to see? Light. What kind of light? Light of the gospel. But what is that? What, what kind of light of the gospel? Light of the gospel, of the, it's, it, of the gospel, particularly Christ is the gospel. But there's something. It's not just seeing Christ like the crowd saw Christ in John 6. And they said, they followed him everywhere. Give us fish, give us food. And they talked about drinking his blood and eating his body in John 6, and they just run away. I don't, we don't, we, this is too hard for us. But the disciples stayed. Because something was different in their minds versus in the crowd's minds. And so it's important to realize the difference between the amazement, the crowds could see something about Jesus when they looked at him, and then, and then the disciples is that the crowds saw him in an external way, but the disciples saw glory. They saw glory, and that's what it says right there in verse 4. It's the glory of someone, particularly of Jesus. Glory, weightiness, loveliness. And see, that's what it means. If someone has never, ever seen Christ as worthy to be adored for eternity, they're not a Christian. I don't mind saying that. Like, if they've never understood that. Now, we can fight for that, but if someone's never, if someone can say, I have never loved Christ... I have, never, I have never in my time throughout my Christian life, it, it can be a fight, I understand, not every day is going to be as easy, but if they've never known what it means to say, no, Jesus is the ocean and I'm splashing in a mud puddle on the beach. And here I am playing in this mud puddle, drizzling sand on my hair. And I, I look back and I go, what in the world am I doing? I'm jumping in the ocean again. 
So some, we forget, right? Even as Christians, we forget. So we turn around, we're like, we're so dumb. Why are we doing You jump in the water. But here's the thing. If someone's never, ever known what the ocean's like and ever understood that, their eyes haven't been opened. Because it says right here in verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, sounds like Genesis 1-1, let there be light. Let light shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give something the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So in the face of Christ, when you see Christ, what do you see? A certain level of what? Knowledge of what? Of Christ, of the glory of Christ specifically. There's, so there's something about Christ that draws a Christian to say, I'm going to follow Jesus to the jungles and die for the sake of the gospel. What has to change in the heart of a person to do that? They have to say, there has to be a, a greater glory in Jesus than in their own life. And that's why it's, you know, we, we see Paul say that the sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to come. Don't even put them in the same, sent, in the same chapter. Don't even put them in the same book. The sufferings of this world being tortured for the gospel, in some cases we've seen the, throughout history, even in, in Scripture, um, whatever sufferings, the worst thing you can conjure up, it's not even allowed to be, you can't even put them to next side by side. The sufferings over here, glory of, to be, you know, of God in the future over here. The glory is that much greater. It's not to say the sufferings aren't bad, because they are. It doesn't mean we don't weep with those who weep, because we need to. Things can be hard. But what lifts us out of that is the glory of Christ. If you haven't seen that, not a Christian. Now, some, we have to fight for it, and it's going to be in prayer and the Word of God and making sure we're not we're repenting of sin. But unbelievers can't do that at all because they haven't had verse 6. The God who said light shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God has to birth new life. He has to give light in the hearts of an, of an unbeliever. So that's why I said in, in the Sunday school class, it's so important that the gospel is central in Romans 1.16 because it's the power of God for salvation. Who's supposed, to, who's supposed to share the gospel? Only those who are extroverts. Only those who are young. Only those who are old. Only those who are called. Only those who, you know, God has given a particular gifting to. That's not what it says. You know, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And we continue to see in Corinthians and different places, we are ambassadors for Christ. Not just the apostles, but the church, the church itself. That includes all of you and me and everybody. We're called to be um, telling people about our faith. And it's just so vital that we do it. And we can get complacent and stagnant. We can be afraid, but we can't let that get in the way. Because at the end of the day, if you have the glory of Christ, if you have that mission of God, and what is God's mission? To create true worshipers. You know what a worshiper is? Someone who says, I was enjoying sin and, and finding worth in that and worshiping that, enjoying myself and all that I can have in the world. And then God opened my eyes to see Christ. And I said, okay, that's not only a sin, but Jesus is even better. So I'm over here now. And, and that's what worship is. It, it's to find your, it's, the, it's really, it's not just singing, but it's a heart that is legitimately finding delight in Christ. And that's how you become like him, 2 Corinthians, right? And we all with unveiled face, beholding in, as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. 
So with unveiled face, not like Moses on the mountain, is what he's talking about in Corinthians. We behold the glory of Christ. We see him. And you, and you look at the word behold, and maybe I should turn this right before this verse, by the way. You can literally go the ver- right before. 2 Corinthians 3.18, which makes sense that this would be right before what we just read. 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. It doesn't say glancing. It doesn't say a quick stare. It doesn't say like, I'm trying to look, but it's hard. You know, beholding a painting, beholding a sunset, beholding the Grand Canyon, you know, beholding the stars. You know, beholding is something you do when there's something magnetic and that you're, you're interested in. And I, I've never done that before. You do when you watch your football game, right? Or, or maybe me too, you know, whatever. You know, we, we, we have things we behold. Whatever it is, pick something. We all have our thing. We're like, oh, I just, this is how I am. Except when you're not, right? And so the reality of it is we all get that, right? As Christians, that's a fight for us is to recognize that Jesus is worth everything. That's what God says. And so how do, we, how do we lay hold of that? In the Scripture, in prayer, in creation, as we consider different in, in um, fellowship and, and providence, we can consider seeing this great God and, and be transformed into the image of Christ because that's what it says here. When you behold Christ, verse 18, 2 Corinthians three eighteen, it says you become like Christ. Maybe transformed is the word that's used, but that's the idea, right? Beholding is becoming. Behold Christ, become like Christ. And isn't that the whole purpose of our salvation? Romans 8, 29, we are predestined to be conformed. Predestined to be conformed. God predestined before eternity passed that you'd be saved so you would be conformed to the image of Christ. And you're like, yeah, okay, great. So he wants to make me a worshiper. He wants me to enjoy God. He wants me to find delight in God. Is that, but that's man-centered, isn't it? Because the glory of God I heard over here, which is the right answer, everything's for the glory of God. How does that give God glory? Because when we find our delight in God, when, we, when He is everything to us, that's the opposite of idolatry. Okay, idolatry is finding everything in things and then finding happiness in, in God. That is going to be um, different, right? That's going to be um, worship. And that's, that's the difference. And when you, when you find your delight in, in God, you are actually magnifying Him because of who He is. And that's why Ephesians says, to the praise of His glory, to the praise of His glory, and that's what we're trying, we're, 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 we're trying to point out here is that that's the ultimate end. And that's the ultimate end. And that's why, and I'm going to wrap up with this, but that's why he says um, in Isaiah 49.6, you can just listen if you like or turn there, but Isaiah 49.6, listen to what's said. He says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel, I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. You know what he's saying there? God's saying it's too small a thing that Jesus would just be the Savior of the Jews. Did you catch that? It's too small a thing that Jesus would be the Savior of just the Jews also those who are in Russia and Hungary, you know, and anywhere else, China and Brazil and wherever you want to go, all over the world, he's going to, he, it's too small a thing. It, it's, not, it's not fitting. It's not fitting for your glory that you would have a people that would be limited to just the Jewish people. 
You have to be the God of everyone, every nation, every, some people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And you see those echoes there. And so my point is, as we're here, and we're about to get practical in a minute, as we're here thinking through this, I just want to challenge everybody here just to be thinking and ask yourself, if God is not content to receive worship from only one people group, should we be content if God is worshiped by only one person or one people group? And if God is passionate to receive worship from all humanity, how can we be complacent? How can we sit around and say, okay, God, this is your mission to save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation and people in our community. That's your goal. That's your mission. And, but that's somebody else who's going to do it. Right? So it's good for us to be reminded as Christians to say, okay, I, God's called us all to be a part of this, and He'll help us. Yeah, we might struggle. We might fumble. You might mess it up. But who cares if you mess it up, right? Because they're already messed up. They're already on the, they're already on the broad road that leads to destruction. The wrath of God abides, like I said in the previous lesson. And so there's nothing you can do except tell them, Romans 1.16, the gospel that saves. And then we can maybe, hopefully, some of us, all of us in this room, hopefully, have a Psalm 150 kind of heart, a Psalm 150 kind of heart. And I, and I want to just get us thinking, Psalm 150 is an interesting psalm. Last psalm in the Psalter, here's what it says. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with uh, uh, timbrel and dancing. Praise him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Did you catch what happened on the front and end there? Look at verse 1. Praise the Lord. The location how you're going to do it, instruments. And then at the very end, again, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I don't know if you caught this. It's kind of interesting when you read the Psalms, but you can tell in this particular Psalm that the psalmist is excited about God, like a football game, but way better, right? Excited about God, and he's just like, I have been captivated by this infinite glory and infinite worth of this God and he wants every, he wants God to be um, receiving, he's trying to, his heart is bursting forth with this desire to see God honored and worshipped in all these ways. And at the very end, he, he's so aware of himself, but then he goes outside of himself and says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That means he's thinking about his neighbors. That means he's thinking about every creature, especially every person particularly. But you know what the problem is? They're not going to do that, are they? On your left and right, in your house, apartment, wherever, you got neighbors probably. If not, you got some nearby. And they're not going to do that. They're not going to praise God. So that desire doesn't happen apart from a supernatural work happening in the heart. But that supernatural work doesn't happen unless we go out and tell them about it. And so I just want to remind you and encourage you, not saying you're not doing it, but I encourage you to excel even more and to be, be recognized that this is something we need to give our life to because evangelism does not exist in heaven. It does not exist because everybody there has a new heart. And so it's our job to be doing that, but it can be nerve-wracking. It can be nerve-wracking. That brings us to the practical side of things if you've got your little hand out there. And so in the gospel conversation, we, we ask ourselves, what do you do? How do you, 
How do you launch a conversation about the gospel? And I think what's important for us to realize here is now that we know we got to do it, we should do it, a little bit of glory there, we have to ask ourselves, how do we do it? It's like riding a bike. It's like riding a bike. You know, you can say, well, I'm just not gifted for evangelism. Everybody struggles with evangelism. Even the most gifted people in evangelism struggle, and they fail and fumble all the time, and they have to get back up, and you get better and better the more you do it. And if you do it with others, you get even better. And, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how good or bad you are in terms of like how winsome you are in evangelism. We want to be the best we can to, to not be off-putting needlessly to people, right? To give them an accurate gospel, to be gracious, to be, you know, kind. Obviously, that matters, but that's not going to save them, right? That's just conduct that is in step with the gospel. What's going to save them is the gospel and then God working, Holy Spirit working in their hearts through that truth. But we don't want to be needlessly off-putting, and we want to be clear, right? And we want to be helpful. So that's the goal, right, as, as we're messengers. So practice, practice. And so it's, 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 not a, it's, an, it's an acquired skill that needs to be cultivated in all of us, not just some of us. If you have questions about that, you can talk to me after, too. If you feel like I'm not right on that, I'd be glad to have a conversation because, you know, sometimes there's different questions and objections, but, you know, you can also ask it here if you want. So here we go. Start with a common conversation. That's A. Start with a common conversation. It's pretty simple stuff. You can, you can fill in the blank or listen to the recording later. Start with a common conversation. Just start talking to people. Hey, how are you doing? My name's Sheldon. What's your name? My name's Tom. Cool. Nice to meet you, Tom. You know, it happened today. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so you just want to start with a conversation. Talk about anything. Hobbies, pets, family, whatever. You just start off with the conversation, just getting to know people. Well, I don't want to do that because people are going to hell, so I've got to just rush right into the gospel and run around. We, we trust our sovereign God, don't we? And we also recognize that we live in a society where there can be things that are off-putting socially, and there's no need to put a stumbling block, humanly speaking, in the way of somebody. And so we want to just start with a conversation. Have, ask them some questions. Number one, learn the unbeliever's name and use it. Learn the unbeliever's name and use it. So important to learn their name, I think. And I forget names sometimes, so if I forgot one of your names, forgive me for that. I'll try to do better, but learn their name. Learn their name. That's their name. That's who they are. And that's going to help immensely because it's going gonna, it's gonna to express um, genuine interest. It's going to express authentic, authenticity. It's going to express sincerity because you're taking interest in them, right? It's not just superficial. Hey, how's it going? You know, let me go on to the next person. It's like, I'll never think about you again. Get to know their name. Be intentional. Pray for them. Add their name to a prayer list. Um, get to know their name. But by the way, if they get angry at you, I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but if you do a lot of evangelism, you'll see that sometimes people get mad. Um, usually they're not like physically threatening you, but they're just sort of like, you know, it's just some degree of anger. If that ever does happen, which, you know, if you're gracious, it's not all the time by God's grace right now, but if it does, you can just use their name. Hey, Sam, Sam, you know, I, I can tell you're getting upset right now, and I, I have told you some hard things, but please, like, Please, I, I can, it seems like you might think I'm trying to like make you look bad or I'm trying to like, you know, challenge you because I just want, but my goal is I want to help you. I really do want to help you. I'm here because I'm here I care about you. Sam, please don't get upset. And when you say their name, like it just pulls them out of that. And I've seen that happen multiple times, multiple times. We do some ministries that are, are a little more difficult at, at, our, at our church. We do an abortion clinic outreach where we go to an abortion clinic and that's a more hostile environment because if they're there to kill their babies, they're probably going to be a little hostile toward you as well. 
And so it's, it's not the same as just going up to someone on the street, you know, or in their house if you're p- pleasant and just having a conversation. And they can sometimes come at you. And I've had multiple times guys coming at me just like they're going to attack me. And I just use the, I, I, and, and if I find, because we sometimes find their name, I, hey, what's your name, sir? Oh, it's whatever. As they walk and we say, please don't do this. You know, God has things to say. Just give us a minute of your time. Don't, don't t- say that because she wants to go and you're making it harder for her. Sir, we're, we're, we're not trying to make things hard, but in this case, we kind of are, you know, because we care about that baby and you just give us a minute and, it, oh, you're not going to be quiet and he starts coming, but we know his name. So we use his name and it, it slows him down. And so it just, it makes a difference. And then you see him again. You don't go, hey, you. <laughs> you can still pray for someone if you don't know their name, by the way, because God knows who they are. But it's helpful to know their name because you say, Sam, you know, nice to see you again. And uh, that's, that's a beautiful thing when that happens. So you want to learn their name and use it in the, in the conversation. Hey, I'm Sheldon. What's your name? Oh, nice to meet you. Hey, Mark, if you, don't ask, if you don't mind me asking, you know, do you attend a church anywhere? Do you have any spiritual beliefs? Oh, yeah, I'm going to a Catholic church. Oh, okay. Catholics go to hell on this and that and Mary. No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Instead of doing that, just say, just say I go to a Catholic church. Oh, which one do you go to? Oh, St. Saint Genevieve down the road. Oh, that's great, St. Genevieve, you know cool. Like, how long have you gone there? You know, oh, I've gone there for like my whole life. Oh, okay. You know, everyone's a little different in their religious background, but, you know, are you a Catholic by like conviction or by association? You know, like, and what I mean by that is, are you a Catholic just because you kind of grew up in the church and you're there with your family? Or are you a Catholic by conviction where you've studied it out, you've looked at Christianity, other, you know, and you just sort of said, no, no, Catholicism is true. And I've objectively studied that. And they usually go, oh, yeah, I haven't really looked into it. I'm just kind of because my family goes, oh, okay, cool. Is there a difference between Catholics and Christians in your mind? No, not really. Okay, well, they, if they say that, I, then I know they know nothing about, about Catholicism so, uh, and Christianity very much, so I'm not going to reconstruct the error of con- Catholicism that they don't know just to tear it down again. I'm just going to scoot past it and say, oh, cool. How do you think you're going to be forgiven with God? And just leave him alone because the guy knows nothing. Like if he doesn't know the difference between those two things, so I'm not going to educate him in error. I mean, later I might, but not right in that moment. So you want to, so here's the thing. If 2 Corinthians 10, and you can just jot this down, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, just make a note, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. It says, um, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying, here we go, what are you going to destroy with these spiritual truths, speculations, every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking, not some, every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So we're going to bring the Word of God to bear, and so how do you do that? Number two, you can write it down on your point. Listen carefully. So don't just learn, learn the unbeliever's name and use it. Number two, listen carefully. Listen carefully. Pay attention. We did that in the Sunday school class. Pay attention. Listen. What did they say? What words did they use? Why did they use those words? Why did they say this or that in this way? Pay attention and just in, in, enjoy the conversation with them and you'll get a lot of data in, and insights into their heart and you can more specifically expose the sin with the gospel as you enter into that conversation naturally. So listen carefully. And then if you listen, guess what happens? You find things out. And guess what you want to find out? What their speculations are. What lofty things they believe that are raised up against the knowledge of God. What thoughts need to be taken captive to the obedience of Christ. What wrong worldviews they have. You're going to figure that out if you listen carefully. So learn their name and use it. Listen carefully. And let me ask you all a question. 
I don't want you to fall asleep on me. Okay. What does good listening include? Not that you're going to do that. But what does good listening include? Someone tell me. Good. A response. Flesh it out a bit. Good. Eye contact. Okay. But I'm using my ears. Right? Not my eyes. But if you're looking at somebody, it helps you to feel, it, it, it does express, it, it is important, you know, to do that. And so you learn from them how they're paying attention to you and they learn from you. Because you could be like this. How you doing, Mr. Unbeliever? Oh yeah, you know, that's not so helpful. So good listening, eye contact, I mean, is a part of ha- having good listening skills. It's not directly related, but it's part of that, the nonverbal stuff. What's, what else? Good listening. Barriers? Oh, yeah. You're saying you can learn? Yeah. What else? Active listening. Paying, actually listening actively. That's good. That's right. Paying attention. What about patience? Being patient. Yeah, showing true interest. Resisting distraction. <laughs> Don't interrupt. Yeah, that's really not a good idea. Yeah, it's going to be important. And then, but see, when, and that's what's important to recognize is when we have an agenda to go from point A to point B to point C in the gospel message, what ends up happening is that that agenda can cloud the way we have a conversation with somebody. We have to recognize, though, that we have to let that conversation play out a little bit and be looking for those opportunities. That's why I think all of you have a little paper, I don't know, right here, gospel paper, God, man, Christ, sinners, Make sure you keep that paper. That's basically the content of the gospel in an outline. You should be asked, you should, I would encourage you to memorize that verbatim, like the exact outline, even with the verses. You could use different verses later, but just memorize it so well that I could literally say, tell me what man says. You can go, here's the three outlines. What verses? This one for the first one, which is this. These verses for the second one, which is this. You can go right through it. Because that right there, if you know that inside and out, backwards, forwards, from the middle, um, you'll be able to find those issues within gospel conversations. That'll be really helpful for you. So good questions. Ask good questions. Number three, ask good questions. Okay, if you wrote that down. Okay, and right before I tell you about asking good questions, I want to mention one thing I forgot in the listening is because you're not just, when you're, at, when you're listening actively, they're not, you're, you're, you're not just um, learning them. You know, they're learning you. It's going both ways, you know, as this happens. And so you want to convey at helpfully. But under asking good questions, so what's a good question? What, what are the two kinds of questions? Someone else who hasn't said anything yet for a while. What are the two kinds of questions? Okay, anybody. All right, open-ended, closed-ended. What's an, you know, um, is this a, is this a uh, closed-ended question? Yes. <laughs> okay. okay, just in case you're wondering. Uh, open-ended question, closed-ended questions, yes or no, right? Are you going to go to heaven? Yes. Oh, man, now what do I say? Uh, but Jesus says, like, you could be deceived. <laughs> Not, so maybe open-ended, right? You're like, hey, you could do open, sometimes you do a one-two punch, you do a closed-ended, open-ended, so it's like, hey, um, you, are you going to go to heaven? Yes. Oh, that's great. That's, that's so encouraging. That's why we're here. You know, what, what are the reasons you think you're going to go to heaven? I love to hear what people say about that. That's open-ended. 
So you can't use them together, but sometimes you shut yourself out of a conversation with a closed end, and you're sort of like, oh, can I talk to you? No. It's like, ah. Oh. I mean, I'm not going to force it, but now I kind of, I can't, I can't say anything without being kind of mean, you know, so it's, it, so just keep that, so just learn this concept, okay, begin to think about it, and it'll help you in your evangelism, open-ended, closed-ended questions, and open-ended questions provide you by far the most data, but sometimes I like to use the closed-ended if I can sense a person is a little bit like suspicious of me, which is a lot of people uh, in LA, you know, especially, and so, you know, you look at, you go to someone's door, knock, and they look at you through the screen, iron door with electric fence and stuff like that, and pit bull behind the door, and, um, but sometimes you ask them a question, if I can tell that they're, they're guarded, I might just ask them a really gracious, easy, close-ended question, you know, and that, that can kind of enter into maybe an open-ended question, but um, you want to be kind of working toward that, because you can't preach the gospel, you, you can't preach the gospel specifically to someone until you learn something about them, and they're not going to give you anything about them if they think you're trying to confront it. So you're not trying to bait and switch them. You're just trying to have a natural conversation and things will just come out naturally and you'll identify markers and because it's natural, they'll tell you stuff and then you'll say, ah, three things they said in that conversation. I'm going to bring it up. Hey, what about this thing you just said? Help me understand that, you know? So anyway, that's the most I can say on that. Wait patiently for an answer, number four. Wait patiently for an answer. This is a good one. You can tell I'm an extrovert, right? I talk a lot. It's not good. Where's my wife? Okay, because she's not here. Okay, what is our tendency? What is our tendency when we ask the unbeliever a question and they don't answer in like the first five seconds? Answer yeah, answer it for them. <laughs> exactly. It's okay. But, and I have to do that here, okay? I'm going to be answering my own questions a lot. I've got to move it along. But the thing is, is it, it's, it's true though, right? It's true. Like, so when you ask a question, it's, if you ask a good question, give them a chance to answer. Some people, they want to process stuff. They want to analyze stuff. Let, give them a chance to answer. But it feels so uncomfortable. Only for you. They're the ones thinking. You know, they're not uncomfortable. They're trying to figure it out. You're over there feeling uncomfortable because you forgot that they're trying to figure it out, right? At least maybe not you, but me. This might just happen with me. But the point is, is um, we don't want to answer our own questions right away. We want it because the thing is, if you answer your own question, you don't learn what they know or don't know. You don't know what they believe or don't believe. Sometimes they don't answer. Sometimes they answer your question the wrong way. And you're like, oh man, that wasn't even like, they didn't even pay attention. Or they didn't get it. Oh man, that's not helpful. Now I can't move them to the next point. What do you mean? That's golden information. If, if you ask someone a question but, about like, how are you going to get to heaven? And they answer like, like a different question, they don't get it or they partially answer it, that shows you where they're at. Either they're, A, they did that because they're guarded and they don't want, they're dodging, which tells you something about how they feel about the conversation and, and in the moment, or they don't understand the, about what you said, or you're a bad communicator, which is probably my problem half the time. But the point is, is like we, we can learn things in every situation if we're paying attention. It doesn't have to all be bad. You know, even, a terrible, even a bad conversation didn't, didn't seem to go well. Bad conversation is an opportunity to learn something and be encouraged. So wait patiently. Wait patiently. Um, yeah, and we don't want to just give our opinion. I mean, sometimes it's just like, well, I, this is what, I just think you shouldn't do that. <laughs> that's just a bad idea. Okay, I mean, that's not bad to say, but like, I, I mean, okay, thanks. I'll, I'll consider your opinion, you know? But it's like, but, I, but I've done that so many times. You just give an opinion. So you want to bring it to the Word of God, ask those questions. And if you have a question, you've got to shout over me. Anybody? Okay. You've got to, inter if you have a question, let's keep it to questions if possible rather than statements, just because we're short on time. But if you have a question, please do ask and just interrupt me. B, pose a probing statement or question. 
B, pose a probing statement or question. So it's, sometimes it can be helpful to like engage with something a little bit more specific, you know. You know, what was your, you know, what, you, you know, what your life was like. You could talk about your testimony, what your life was like before Christ, what changed. You could, you could ask them a question then about that. Hey, tell me your testimony or what, what happened or, oh, I, you know, they might say something about heaven or about God or about judgment or about death. And you can ask them questions about that. Can you help me understand that? I'd love to know more what you meant by that. Sometimes we assume we know what someone's saying. Any, uh, any uh, husbands or wives in the room? Okay. This happens. Yeah, none of them. Exactly. I know. Same with me. But uh, I have this happen. This is my week- weekly battle. You know, not that we're having problems, but it's just like miscommunication all day long. And I assume that I know what my wife meant. And, ha- and even if I'm like right 80% of the time, what if it's the 20%? Or if I'm right 90% in my assumption about what she meant by that, 10% I'm wrong. What if it's the 10%? That leads to all sorts of problems. So ask good questions, clarifying questions, and impose that statement or question to draw that out so you can get it. And just try to understand a bit more about what they're saying. Um, I'm trying to keep myself on schedule here. All right, I'm moving along, chopping stuff up. Okay, um, so how did Jesus start conversations? How did Jesus start conversations? Well, you know what he did? He would begin with the subject at hand. Do you remember? Whoever drinks this water, I will give him, shall never thirst. Well, we just read about the woman in the well. Why did he talk about water? Because water was present, because water was being retrieved. So he used water as an opportunity to bridge the gap, right? And so sometimes we can be pretty abrupt, you know? And it's like if you walk up to somebody who's like, you know, I don't know, at a print shop just, you know, doing paper or whatever, you know, or get, dropping a box off at the mail place, you know, post office, and you just go up to the person, you're like, hey, um, what if I told you this way for you to have living water? The guy just looks at you, he goes, huh? <laughs> you know, so just recognize, like, and, and I know it's kind of funny, right, because some of us are, you, some, of, some of you are going to be like, I get that, duh, I know, I understand, some of you are in the middle, and some of you maybe do that on a regular basis, like I used to do before I had some people help me with my great problems, um, some mentors who are older in the faith. But um, some of us are just different in that way, but understand like either you struggle with this a little bit, you struggle with this a good amount or a lot, and you also might know somebody who does, and you can be a blessing for them, pray for them, help them, encourage them. So it applies to you no matter what to think through these principles. So Jesus would start conversations up. Here's another thing you can do. You can write this down. You can look for four things in any conversation to help you with the gospel. Four things. Number one, creation. This is still under um, B, by the way. Pose a probing statement or question. This is still under, under that area of, of statement or question, to, off to the side. Number one, just write creation. Number two, write fall, F-A-L-L. Number three, write redemption. Number four, write consummation. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. You can be looking for these in any situation. You can be looking at the weather. Oh, look at the weather. Oh, man, it's beautiful. We're, we're at the zoo. Someone's there going, man, that is an amazing looking whatever animal. And you go, yeah, it really is. Like, God is like incredible. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about how God made whatever? You know what we're talking about? Hippopotamus. <laughs> and, they, and they might be like, yeah, yeah, I think about that all the time. Or, no, I'm an atheist. 
You know, or, uh, you know, you, you get data, and then you can ask about that, and then you can ask about the next question. Fall would have to do with, you know, um, you know mankind's sin, things that evidence sinfulness. Uh, unfair circumstances at work. You know, one of the hospitals down in Los Angeles, a, a lady from our church called because they're going on a strike, and she's like, can I do that as a Christian? So we're having a conversation about this. And everybody's angry because they want more money and they're overworked. And that, that probably is true. They need more money. They're probably underpaid and they probably work too much. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. When they complain about it, though, the unbelievers, and they're having a hard time, you can say, hey, why do you think it is that, like, bosses can, like, treat employees just in a, in a partial way or they don't take care of us? What, what, what is in our hearts? Because that doesn't just happen at work. That happens, like, even probably with you and I sometimes. Like, where do you think that comes from? I don't know. I never thought about that. Could it be the sin in this? What about, you know, the Bible answers this. Could it be sin? Let's show, let me show you it, you know? And so you can help them think about it. Redemption, redemption. So we live in this world, right? This, this fallen, broken world, if you will. And um, some, but there's, there's writings of wrongs. They're like, I watched the cop show, you know, or whatever. Is that even out anymore? I don't even know. I don't watch much stuff late anymore, really. But, you know, you're watching the news. You're watching some kind of thing that happened, some kind of reconciliation. A mom finds her child, you know, that, that escaped into whatever, in the, into a huge park, and she, she finds a child, and someone brings a child back. Any, any opportunities like that, you can bring up and say, because what that does is we have this idea of redemption, that the reason that we care about that is because deep down in our hearts, we understand that. God's given us that instinct. We're just corrupted because of our sin, at least especially in unbelief. Unbelievers are fully corrupted. As Christians, we have new, new natures, but we still can struggle. So you can bridge that gap and help them understand, look, there's also a God who's going to bring redemption. He's going to right every wrong. He says that we're not allowed to be angry at, at anybody, at the wicked. We can be angry at the wicked, but we're not allowed to retaliate. That's the word I meant, sorry. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We don't go repay evil to someone because we want to be, you know, be, have vengeance because we're angry. It's, you know, again, I'm not trying to, I'm not watching any of these movies, but back in, especially in my earlier years, there's this, this one called Gladiator, you know, and it's like the whole movie is about a guy who loses his family sadly and he gets put in into his gladiator camp and he fights his way through and the whole goal in his life is to kill this emperor guy and and again who cares about i'm not trying to promote movies or anything i'm just trying to say it's it's a long time ago i saw that but that's the idea right it's it's like even the media even hollywood gets that it's like let's make a movie where you're like i can't wait for that guy because he they killed and harmed in terrible ways that family and he, I just want him to go and slay that guy and make him suffer. You know, it's like, I'm not saying that's what I want, but that's what your heart can want when you even watch that. We got to be on guard, you know, and that's Hollywood gets that. But that vengeance is actually against God. It's against God. Again, justice is different. Okay, he got what he deserved. I'm glad he's, he's been put in jail. I'm glad he's not hurting anybody anymore. I'm glad that justice was served. But sometimes we like to mix the justice and vengeance in our heart in a really kind of tricky way. We kind of, we say, oh, it's not just, my vengeance is really just justice. And it's a justification for sinful anger. So we just got to be careful. But you can show them that. So that's a little con con confrontation for us as Christians. But for the unbeliever, we can, we get that. We can help them understand that. Consummation, weddings, and all sorts of things that happen. Any graduations are opportunities to take. Did you know there's, there's, there's going to be a, there's going to be a different kind of graduation, different kind of wedding. You know, there's a wedding where Jesus will bring his bride to be with him. C, ask permission to ask a direct question. C, ask permission to ask a direct question. And I already kind of covered this, so basically, I'm about to be done, but 
um, essentially just ask permission. You know, I don't like to, I like to ask it like this. If you don't mind me asking, what do you think is going to happen when you die? If you don't mind me asking. So I'm still asking the question, but I'm sort of telling them it. That's my favorite way to say it. It works pretty well. If you don't mind me asking, I don't like to ask yes or no because then they shut me out. Um, okay, what if they refuse to engage? Well, when to walk away? When do you walk away? A, if they mock the message, right? If they mock the message or if they're getting hostile, they tell you to leave, walk away, right? It's pretty simple. What, do you, what to do next? Do not argue with the unbeliever, B. What to do next? B is what to do next, the big Roman or the larger um, fill in there. What to do next? Do not argue with the unbeliever. Number two, do not take the unbeliever's rejection personally. Do not take the unbeliever's rejection personally. So do not argue with the unbeliever, number one. Number two, do not take the unbeliever's rejection personally. Number three, continue to pray for the unbeliever's repentance and be available. Continue to pray for the unbeliever's repentance and be available. Pray for their repentance, right? That's what we want, and be available. And then four is end with a warning. End with a warning. Okay? So do not argue with the unbeliever. Don't take it personally. Pray for them. Be available. And end with a warning. That's four. And that's common sense, right? That's common sense. Keep those things in mind as you have gospel conversations. And there's way more I want to say about this, but we're out of time. So let me, let me just pray. And then if you have more questions, we can talk about it. Thank you, God, so much for this time with these precious people. Help us to be more faithful evangelists. Uh, help us to be, um, give us favor in the eyes of our, 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 those around. And as we drive home today and we pass houses and we see lights on or cars in the driveway, we don't know if they're worshiping you. We don't know if they love you. We don't know if they're on the path of destruction. So give us a heart that cares, that prays for them, and that would op take opportunities to share with them so that you might receive the glory that you're worthy of in their praise. In Christ's name, amen.